Hey friends, Pastor Brooks here. I just want to thank you for checking out this podcast and to acknowledge that this teaching was created in collaboration with Practicing the Way and John Mark Homer. They are doing great work to provide discipleship resources for the church, and so we give them our gratitude and encourage you to check them out at practicingtheway.org. For now, enjoy the podcast. Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah. We'll be in Isaiah 58, and I'll start reading from verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, says the Lord, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come this morning, that you would fill this place and fill our hearts. Meet us where we're at today. Uh, Help us to be good listeners this morning and even better doers of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. Well, everyone, today is November 19th. Anyone know what today is? It's no special holiday in particular, but only that it means, believe it or not, there are only six weeks left of 2023. 
Cue the collective. Oh my goodness. It also means that we're about to enter the week of Thanksgiving and the mixture of holiday excitement and potentially frantic rush all the way through Christmas and into the new year. Raise your hand if you've started your Christmas shopping. Wow. The rest of you, me neither. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have three or more midterms and finals between now and mid-December. I'm sorry, I can't relate. <laughs> Raise your hand if work life for you is just a steady crescendo until the holidays. Yes, yes, I feel you, I feel you. Collective sigh. But at the same time, we're about to enter a time of joy and celebration. I love Thanksgiving. I love sitting at the table with family, friends, kin, uh, sharing gratitude, good conversation, delicious food and drink, and just making merry. Uh, and I love Christmas. You know, I'm starting to like it when radio stations start playing Christmas music just after Halloween. Uh, I love having time off with my loved ones. I love celebrating Jesus, you know, remembering his birth and all that it means, hope, joy, and peace, in order to live into that reality more and more. Friends, it's a season of joy, or if you can call it this, a season of feasting, right? But at the same time here in the West, it's also a season of abundance, which is not bad, but even, dare I say, excess. Um, and, and if we're not careful, that can shadow a lot of the more important aspects of the holidays. You know, we look forward to Thanksgiving and all of the food we're gonna eat. You pull out your stretchy pants so you can eat more. Um, we, we usually allow ourselves to know, eat more on a, than on a regular day, and it's great, you know, it's feasting. Um, and then it's followed by the not-so-great American pastime, with that I'm grateful to say most of us have done away with, and that is Black Friday, you know, shop till you drop, buy things you won't ever need simply because they're discounted, but then the, most of the time it's not even a really good discount anyway. Um, and that leads us right into that mad dash to Christmas, to getting all of our Christmas shopping done. And then, if you think about it, what usually takes place after Christmas, you go back to return things that you don't need or you, you secretly don't like, or you bring them to white elephant parties and gift exchanges. Um, you know, these are places where you bring either gag gifts or, or things that you receive but really do without, um, which altogether just goes to show that we have a lot of stuff. And we buy a lot of stuff, and most of us are able to buy a lot of stuff. From Thanksgiving to Christmas, we pile up a lot of food and a lot of things. And I'm not trying to set up one big guilt trip here. But meanwhile, you know, as we think about our Thanksgiving menu items, how much we're going to eat, um, as we fill out our Christmas shopping lists and our wish lists, as the marketability and the pageantry of the holidays distract us, meanwhile, around 2 billion people in the world live in poverty, 700 million people live in extreme poverty, which means they live off of less than $2 a day. Here in the United States, the extreme poverty rate is 11.6% of the whole population. And the sad thing is that most of these people are children. 22,000 children die every day due to poverty. And so while we shop, as we look for the latest fashion item or gadget, as we stock our pantries for the holidays, millions of people, kids are hungry. 
We also know that Jesus' greatest commandment is first to love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. But as we all know from experience, it's really hard to love those with whom you can't relate with. And it's hard to love those who are going through grief if we ourselves have never processed grief ourselves. It's hard to love those who suffer mental illness if all we do is stand from a distance rather than entering into the struggle with them. It's hard to care for, pray for, and aid those suffering around the world in Ukraine or Gaza or Sudan when we're separated not only by miles and miles of ocean, but by daily life experience. It's hard to sympathize with the houseless man off the freeway exit when most of us have no idea what it's like to have hunger, exposure to the elements, and just demoralization be the daily experience. And it's hard to love our neighbors. It's hard to stand with the poor. It's hard to fight injustice when we are just worlds removed from it all. When we have no idea about their experience. So the question is, how do we then enter the experience in order to then bring the love and the hope of Jesus? How do we enter into the experience of the needy, the hungry, the marginalized, and the forgotten? Is there something from the way that Jesus and his disciples lived their lives that we can imitate and practice in order to reform the posture of our hearts? Again, as it's been for the past couple of weeks, you know it's a leading question. Yes, there is. It's fasting. Um, as many of you know, our mission here in our True North community is to lead inner lives pointed by Jesus in order to then lead outer lives that point others to Jesus. And as it so happens, fasting is a really great way to bridge that gap from inner change to outer change. We started our teaching and practice series by first talking about fasting in order to offer ourselves to Jesus, uh, to grow in holiness, or just to fight sin and shame and addiction, uh, and also to amplify our prayers and to just deepen our prayer lives. And if you think about it, these are all internal things that, that make space for inner change, right? They, they make space in our lives and in our hearts and in our habits for, for the Holy Spirit to transform us over time. When we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus, we are practicing surrendering to him and giving him not just our minds and our hearts, but our bodies, right? We practice giving him control over our lives and thereby opening ourselves to being filled and changed by him. When we fast to grow in holiness, we practice admitting and laying our sins, our addictions, and our distractions even before Jesus. So we, we practice living honestly in the light. We practice vulnerability and discipline, and we really do receive his strength to fight sin. And then when we fast to amplify our prayers, we, we pair fasting with prayer to do just that. You know, we allow ourselves to hear God more clearly, but we also set up ideal conditions to be heard by God. And so today, we finish our series, we get to our final reason. Fasting to stand with the poor. Now, you might be thinking, how does me being hungry help the poor? 
You know, how does, how does fasting do any good for those who are actually hungry and in need? Well, according to God, it has a lot to do with it. According to God, fasting is the seed for generosity and justice. So hopefully you still have your Bibles open on your laps. Uh, go ahead and turn with me back to Isaiah 58. We're just going to camp out there for a little while. Uh, just to give you some context here. God is speaking to his people here through the prophet Isaiah. Um, the Israelites are supposed to be a blessing to the people around them, but they're actually just for totally forgetting this. Um, so again, we'll pick it up at verse three. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Basically, the people are saying to God, hey, God, we're out here fasting but not much is happening. Like, it doesn't seem to be working here. Why aren't you hearing our prayers? So God replies, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure to oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? In other words, God says to the people, no, you're all fasting for the wrong reasons, selfish and wicked reasons. That's not going to make your prayers heard. And then God goes on. And listen carefully here. Verse six, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your own house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So, we fast to offer ourselves to God, to fight sin, to amplify our prayers. But according to God here, we also fast to fight injustice, to free people from oppression, to share our food with the hungry, to provide shelter to refugees, immigrants, and those with no home, to clothe the naked, and to actually meet the practical needs of the people around us. I'll give you a sec to either, I don't know, take a picture of the screen or write those down if you're taking notes. If we fast like this for these reasons, check out what God says. Verse 8. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Meaning, in the same way that fasting amplifies our prayers to God, giving to the poor, seeking justice for the oppressed, is just as essential. Pastor and author John Mark Homer writes, in the biblical imagination, Almsgiving or, or giving to the poor is just as tied to fasting as prayer. To the biblical mind, it's illogical to practice fasting without generosity, service, and justice. 
You know, in our community, we always circle back at the end of our, a lot of our series. We always circle back to the fact that our spiritual transformation, like us becoming more and more like Jesus, is always for the sake of others. We must be changed by Jesus for the sake of the people around us. And as it turns out, fasting is the bridge for this. The first three reasons to fast ultimately have to do with our own transformation, and we are definitely blessed when we fast for those reasons. But the fourth reason, the kind of fasting God describes here, is for others, particularly the poor and the needy, both inside and outside of our community. And this has always been the call to God's people since the beginning. In Deuteronomy, God commands his people, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Psalm 82 states, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And then the prophet Micah writes, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The reality is that from Old Testament times all the way through Jesus' days, on through the early church and on through history, followers of Jesus have fasted with this intention to serve the poor and to fight injustice. An early Christian writing dating all the way back to the early 2nd century called The Shepherd of Hermas has specific instructions to Christians at that time on fasting. It goes like this. Estimate the cost of food you have eaten on that day and give that amount to a widow or an orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way that the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his soul and pray to the Lord for you. The 6th century French saint, Caesarius of Arles, says, Let us fast in such a way that we lavish our lunches upon the poor, so that we may not store up in our purses what we intend to eat, but rather in the stomachs of the poor. All of this takes us back to Jesus' great command. Through fasting, we love God with all that we are, and we love our neighbor in real, tangible ways. When we fast in this way, specifically for the poor, three things happen. First, we stand in solidarity with the hungry. You know, fasting is how we take a moment in our lives to step into the experience of those who suffer from hunger on a daily basis. We choose to go without food to stand in solidarity, to feel with those who regularly go without food, but not by choice. And as we practice saying no to our stomachs in this way, we open up space for God's compassion to enter our hearts. Over time, we start to feel his compassion for the needy. Like I know, I know people who, in addition to fasting, also do things like altering their weekly meals for the same reasons. Like some families once a week will have a rice and beans night to experience what most of the world eats on a regular basis. Second, we share what we have. This is very logical, very practical. The money we don't spend on food 
when we fast can be given to the poor. The time that we don't spend eating or cooking or shopping for food can we spend serving those in need. On this note, in our community groups this week, we will be doing something a little different. We're going to take a tithe specifically to give the money we didn't spend on food to the needy. This is how we fast for the sake of others. This is how we practice putting love in action. It's how we go beyond just talking about justice, dreaming about justice, posting on social media about justice, and actually practice enacting justice through love and generosity. It's how we live out what the Apostle John talks about when he writes, by this we know that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Fasting frees up resources to give, whether that be money or time or possessions. Something we're also going to be doing this week in our community groups is posting and signing up for volunteer positions throughout the month of December and beyond. But the truth is, you don't even have to wait for all of this. You know, you can keep an envelope of cash in the car to have on hand to give. The Everett Gospel Mission is always taking food and clothing donations. And we can do something now. Third, we stand against evil and injustice. Comer writes again, Fasting can be a loving, nonviolent way to protest systemic injustice a way for the powerful to voluntarily align with the powerless, as Jesus himself did for us. Check out what New Testament scholar Scott McKnight writes. Food joins humans to other humans because we share meals together. We're about to do that on Thanksgiving. Whenever we give up food intentionally, we refrain from relationships. When a group protests by fasting, they both negate one relationship with the haves, and they affirm another relationship with the have-nots. And since the structures of power have always, always have sufficient food, fasting is not only refusing relationship, but it's also protesting the power structures that exist. In other words, again, when we fast, we identify with those who are powerless those who suffer from need and hunger, those who suffer under the systems of power. So to return to today's passage, we as followers of Jesus, as people of God, we pray and fast against evil and injustice. Our prayer and our fasting is our action that leads us to further action as our hearts grow in compassion for those who suffer from from not just hunger and poverty, but from the effects of injustice. Church, I do believe that it's through fasting that our hearts will, over time, become softened and aligned to the heart. And the reality is, guys, our hearts really do need this. It's way too easy to grow cold, hardened, apathetic, or indifferent to the problems around us. Poverty, homelessness, systemic injustice. 
Like our hearts really do need this for us to stay human. Our community and our world needs this. It needs Christians whose hearts actually do feel for and break for the poor, for the marginalized and the disenfranchised, for the oppressed. And I'll be honest with you, like our church, we've been here for a while now, and we've taken some steps towards the others outside of our community. But I think we've grown way too content with sentiments like, well, I don't know where to start, or how could, how could we possibly make a difference that even matters? I think we've gotten a little too preoccupied with things within these walls that we've become just a little too comfortable and insulated in here. Your friends, hey, Jesus' church, this place, it's not a place where we simply go on Sundays, sing a few songs, hear a sermon we probably won't remember, make weekly small talk, or even find a group of people that we're comfortable sharing a few vulnerable things with. The church is meant to be the epicenter of Jesus' love, his compassion, and his justice. It's meant to be a place where the realities of his coming kingdom Blessing, providence, joy, and abundance are shared and spread throughout the community. It's the place where we actually enact and live out your kingdom come, your will be done. The church is meant to be a family that blesses others and welcomes them into the family of Christ. And really, as I say all this, as I'm preaching this, I'm really preaching it to myself. Like, outreach has never been my forte. It's a weakness of mine. But it's through fasting that God is doing a deep and good work in my heart. I'm a work in progress like anyone else. But it is my prayer that we'll come together and take on the heart of Jesus together through fasting. As we do so, it is my prayer that love and mercy will well up in this place and flow out of these doors and into the streets and the surrounding community. It is my prayer that in the end, at the end of our days, Jesus will say to us what he says in the Gospel of Matthew. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. To end, if you're wondering if it's just merely a coincidence, that our fasting series happens to come right before Thanksgiving and the holidays, a season of feasting, it's not a coincidence. It's my prayer that fasting 
will let our hearts begin to be changed from one of inward focus towards ourselves to one of outward focus towards others. That's our mission. Leading inner lives pointed by Jesus in order to lead outer lives that point to Jesus. So this holiday, let us feast because Jesus feasted. Scripture states, the Son of Man came eating and drinking and his disciples feast. But Jesus and his disciples also fasted. Now, this week's community groups will be the last in this series, but I do hope that you will continue to practice. And I know it's, you know, it's a long, fasting is a long-term practice that's hard. I know it's difficult. Uh, one that usually doesn't yield any quick changes or results, but rather a slow cumulative effect. But I've already begun to see the seeds of change in our community, and I pray for more. I pray for God to do more, to water those seeds of change. Believe me when I say he's doing good work here, friends. Let's keep participating with him. Keep letting him do that work in you. Keep on fasting. To offer yourselves to Jesus in worship and surrender. To fight sin and addiction and shame and to grow in holiness. To amplify your prayers and to deepen your relationship with him. And to stand with the poor. To practice loving through real service and generosity to those in need. And to fight injustice. We can do this. We really need this. The people around us need this. And so, by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep on, friends. Will you stand and pray with me? Jesus, we do confess that sometimes we feel like our relationship with you should lead straight to comfort, straight to peace, straight to good emotions and feeling warmth, and that it shouldn't lead anywhere near discomfort or suffering or sadness or grief or lamenting or even anger. But Jesus, we know that when we really follow you, when we really open up our hearts to being changed, when we open ourselves to becoming more and more like you, we know where that path really leads. We know that it leads towards suffering, towards discomfort, towards the injustice that we see and experience. Because Jesus, that's exactly where you went. You went to those in need. You went to those suffering. You went to those who were oppressed. And so Jesus, this morning, we just ask that you would refine our desire, that you would show us what real discipleship looks like, that you would give us the courage and the power to still follow hard after you. We pray that as we end this series on fasting, 
that we all will continue to practice fasting. Not just an act, as an act of devotion or to deepen our prayer lives with you or to hear you, but to really be your hands and feet here in the world. To really hurt with those who are hurting so that we can love them like you loved them. Empower us, embolden us, and send us out, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.